page 592, Psalm 96. And let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Our Heavenly Father, we do desire to behold your glory. We desire to behold the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. And yet we acknowledge, Lord, that our eyes are blind, that our hearts are dead, and that without your Holy Spirit, we cannot see you. And so, Father, we pray now that as we look at your glory revealed in your word, that the Holy Spirit would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to understand and a mind to receive the things that you want to show us. Oh, Lord, help us to see the glory of God in the face of Christ revealed in the pages of your word now. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this is the beginning of our annual missions conference. This is the week every year, a Sunday and a week, and then the following Sunday where we sort of hit pause on our normal church activities, and and we focus all of our attention corporately as a church on the great task of taking the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus' salvation, to all the nations. And so you know what that means, right? That means this is the week where you get to feel really guilty. It's like, oh, it's missions week. I'm such a slacker. I could barely keep my head above water. And, and, And now we're talking about taking the news of Jesus to the world like that. I can't even get there. I mean, I, I feel so inadequate and so unable to do this. And, oh, I guess I better sign up for the banquet. Maybe, maybe I'll, that, that'll count for something. And, you know, oh, and is, the, is the regular preacher going to be here next week? Oh, it's missions week. You know, we feel all guilty inside. The problem with guilt, of course, is that it's a lousy motivator. And, and guilt can't change your heart. Guilt won't give you a heart for missions. I mean, guilt might motivate you to put an offering in the offering plate for missions pledge, or, or guilt might get you to the, you know, the taste of missions banquet on Saturday, but, but guilt doesn't really change our heart. It won't give us a, a zeal for the gospel to go to the nations. It can't do that. Fortunately, as we look in the pages of Scripture and we look at the theme of missions, we find that the Bible gives us a completely different motivation for missions. That, that the, the motivation the Bible gives us is one that, that can fuel a passionate, lifelong concern for missions. That the motivation the Bible gives us can actually give us a heart for missions. So what is the biblical motivation for being excited about the the gospel going to the nations, it's not guilt. Instead, the biblical motivation is worship. It's worship. Look at Psalm 96. This is our missions text for this morning. Interesting to do a a text, a, a sermon about missions from the Old Testament, but missions is all over the Old Testament. You just need to look for it. So I'm going to read Psalm 96, and as I read it, here's what I want you to do. I want you to listen for connections between worship and missions. See if you can just kind of, you know, mentally flag them, mentally highlight them as, as I read through this passage to see how worship and missions go together, how the, the vertical praise of God and the horizontal proclamation of Jesus 
go hand in hand. Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound in all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. And then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They will sing for, before the Lord for He comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his truth. Did you hear worship and missions? Did you you feel them dancing together in this psalm? As I look at this psalm, I, I see at least two ways, two major ways that worship and missions connect with each other, and I'd like to highlight them. The first one is in verses 1 to 6. And the first thing we see in verses 1 to 6, you could say that, that worship is the fuel for missions, that worship is what propels and energizes biblical missions, that it's the, the, the vertical praise and worship of God that then motivates us and inspires us to proclaim to proclaim the glory of God to others and to the nations. Looking in at verses 1 to 3, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise His name. Proclaim His salvation day after day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous deeds among all peoples. And so, so there's missions right there. You see verse 2, proclaim His salvation day after day. Verse 3, declare His glory among the nations. I mean, those could be themes for a missions conference, right? That those are classic missionary sending kind of language. Go declare God's glory among the nations. But, but here's the thing. Notice the tone. The tone is not guilt, obligation, duty. It's not like, listen, you slackers, you know, get out there, do this. We got we to do missions. No, no, it's, it's this ebullient, joyful, worshipful, festive tone to this passage. I mean, verses 1 and 2, he says, sing three times. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. This is a concert. This is happy. And and what are we proclaiming in verse 2? Salvation. And we're declaring what in verse 3? Glory. 
and marvelous deeds so that the worship of God and our awe and wonder at God is what's inspiring us to go out and talk about God and His salvation and all that that He's done. Worship is the fuel for missions. That's what should propel us. And this is always the case, and we've talked about this before, but, but we always proclaim the thing that we worship. You know, whatever it is that's got our hearts, we go and talk about it. We, do it. we do it with everything, right? It's just a natural human dynamic. You see a good movie, you see an amazing movie, and, which is, you know, rare these days, but let's say you see one that's like really amazing and it really grips you, and you just go around and you tell everyone about it. You're like, oh, did you see whatever, you know? Like Godwin, you know, last week Godwin was talking about Star Wars Episode Seven. I He was like, does anyone know what's going to happen on December 18th? I was like, ooh. Star Wars Episode 7. So I'm sure after Star Wars Episode 7, I'm going to be talking to everybody like, oh, did you see it? Did, did you see that? Well, you got to go. Well, I'll go next week. No, 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 go tonight. I'll go with you. I want to see it again. Right? We, we proclaim what, what, what we worship and what's inspiring us and what's mo- motivating us. Praise leads to proclamation. Worship motivates missions and fuels missions. Or I, I had a friend, uh, a couple of pastor friends who were going on and on. They lived down in Providence. They pastor churches in Providence, and they were going on and on about these hamburgers at this little pub in Providence called the Abbey. I don't know if you've ever been there, but apparently their hamburgers were rated number one in a USA Today article. And they were, you know, they were, they were pre- preaching the gospel of Abbey's burgers to us. And they're like, oh, you guys got to come down. You need to eat these burgers. You need to try these burgers. And, you know, like, okay, yeah, we'll come down. No, no, when, when? We got to put a date in the calendar. That's what we do when we're filled up with awe and wonder. It's something good. We, we want to proclaim it to the nations. Except in this case, what we have to proclaim is, is something great, way better than a movie or a burger. I mean, the, the reason we do missions is because we've seen the greatest story ever. We've had the greatest food ever. We've drunk the greatest drink ever. We've seen the most beautiful thing ever, which is the glory of God and the gospel of Jesus. That's why we want to do missions. That's why we want to tell people. I mean, it's right there. He's, he says, proclaim his salvation day after day. Sing about his salvation in verse 2. Interesting, in verse 1, we're, we're told to sing a new song. So, so it's something wonderful and new that deserves a new song. Sometimes we, we hear about singing a new song, and, and we go, see, we need to sing new songs in church and stop singing those old hymns. You know, that's not at all what that verse means. Right? What it means is God does new things and they need to be newly proclaimed. God has done a new work, therefore we need a new song for the new thing that God just did that we need to proclaim as his glory continues to manifest itself. And the gospel of Jesus Christ after his resurrection in heaven, and, and as he's there in heaven, notice in chapter 5 verse 9, they sang... What? A new song. Because a new thing has happened. What's the song? You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. In other words, you're worthy to take control of history. Because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. That's, that's the great news that Jesus' blood is purchasing people from Asia 
And Jesus' blood is purchasing people from South America. And Jesus' blood is purchasing people from Africa. And Jesus' blood is purchasing people from Boston. (laughs) And he's purchased people and he's redeeming them from every tribe and language and nation and drawing them to himself to make a people for his glory and his praise. And that's the song we sing. That's the gospel. It's this song of redemption. And it's that experience of salvation. You know, if you want to have a heart for missions, it starts with receiving the gospel yourself, with coming to realize that, that you need to be redeemed, that, that you are lost, but that God sent his son to save sinners. You know, the, the great missionary of the Bible is Jesus. He's the great missionary of all who came seeking lost people like us, messed up, broken people like us, refugees ruined by our own choices and our own lives to come and redeem us and wash us and forgive us and re- bring us to himself. This is the gospel message. And, it, and that salvation that we've experienced in our awe and wonder of it is what propels the proclamation of missions. But go back to Psalm 96. There's more. There's more things to worship God about. Not only his great salvation but his great uniqueness. Look at verse 4. It says, for. In other words, proclaim his glory. Why? Well, because of worship. For. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. There's another reason we need to, to proclaim the gospel to all the nations. It's because the things they're worshiping are idols. You know, the, the other religions, the other spiritualities, the other worldviews, they're idols. They're not the true God. Um, in fact, that, that Hebrew word for idol is an interesting word. It, it, it means nothings, something that's a nothing. You know, the, 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 God, the gods of the nations are nothings. And in fact, the, word, the Hebrew word for nothing sounds like the Hebrew word for God. So there's like a nice little, you know, literary uh, wordplay going on there. It's kind of cool. But, but the point is that they're nothing. And so we need to tell the nations about the true God because what they're worshiping isn't real. And I know that's, that's something that's kind of controversial. We, we tend to think like, what? You know, how, how can you say that about other, other beliefs and other views? And, and so this is one of the objections that people commonly have to missions. Why would you go to another culture and other people and tell them about your beliefs and when they have their own beliefs? Um, you know, it's, it's like that. Have you seen that bumper sticker that people have in their cars? I'm sure you've seen it coexist and all and the word coexist is spelled out and every letter of it is is a, it's pretty clever it's it's a different symbol from different religions and turned into the different letters for coexist i never know what to think when i see that bumper sticker i because I, 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 i'm not quite sure what it means frankly you know if what that bumper sticker means is people from different religions should get along with each other and not kill each other i'm like yeah <laughs> agreed <laughs> In fact, for the first 45 years of my life, I've been not killing and harming people of other religions. I've been coexisting. Thank you. I'll keep that up, you know. Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know any other Christian. I've never met another Christian. I've never met a missionary. I've never met a pastor who thinks that, that the way we propagate our faith is by harming, oppressing, or in any ways injuring other people of other faiths. I've never met that person. 
You know, missions is not a coercive act of, of force and violence and, and politics. It's just, missions is just going, hey, you should check out the burger, you know. You need to see this. You know, it's just, it's talking, it's words, it's opening your life and loving people. And so, so in that sense, I mean, like, well, okay, yeah, coexist. I mean, I, I'm doing that. I'll keep doing that. Thank you very much for the reminder. But that what I think sometimes is that, is that there's a subtext under that bumper sticker and, and maybe I'm wrong, and this is why I say I don't know exactly know what it means, but I, I wonder sometimes if the, if the subtext is coexist because, you know, all the religions, they, I mean, everyone's got their own views. There's none of them that's true for everybody. You know, you got yours is true for you, you got yours is true for you, and we all have our own little tribal beliefs, and they're all true for us in our own ways, but there isn't any one overarching religion. And, and, when, and when I hear that, I think, you know, if, if that's what it means, then it's dead wrong. You know, God, you and I are supposed to coexist. Even if you're here today and, and you don't agree with anything about Christianity, I'm glad you're here and you and I can coexist and we can go out and have a burger. We can go to Abbey together, right? But God doesn't coexist. God has a bumper sticker on his car and it says, I exist. <laughs> or to use the Hebrew word, I am. He's God. And, and so... If we love the world, if we love people, then, then we're motivated to tell them about the true God, not because we're better, our culture is better, but because God is the Lord. Who's, he created the world and the heavens. And so we worship him. And, th- and that worship of his uniqueness and his greatness leads to missions. Worship fuels missions. Or verse 6 we shift gears here from his uniqueness to his beauty. Verse 6, splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Splendor, majesty, strength, glory. He's beautiful. He's awesome. He's resplendent. You know, when people see God in the Bible, and we have these little scenes where God appears in a vision or something, typically the people who see God are completely undone. They, they, they tend to just become a, a mess, <laughs> and they're on the ground on their faces, and they're worshiping, and they're trembling. You, you know, imagine someone so awesome with so much gravitas and beauty and glory that, that it's lethal. It, it's so awesome and glorious that you, you can't look at it. It's too good. It's too pure. That's God in all of His glory. Whenever He, he arrives... The world falls apart and people fall apart because he's so majestic and awesome. And so as we get little glimpses of God's glory, as, as we see little bits of him, as he lets us through the Holy Spirit just see little you know, beatific moments of, of his beauty, it leads us to worship, which then is what fuels missions because we want to tell people about this God. So how do we get a heart for missions? How do we get excited about missions? How, how, do, how is it when the missions conference comes every year, we don't just feel that guilt coming on, but instead there's a, like, oh, it's missions conference. Three more weeks to missions conference. Two more weeks to missions conference. You know, like, how could you get there in your head? And, and the answer is, you know, this theme, behold our God. That as, as we stoke up our awe and our wonder, remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago, awe? As we, as we stoke up the awe in our hearts at who God is, we will want and be excited about that same God being known by more and more people. It's interesting to think that the first step 
in getting a heart for missions is actually what, for instance, what we do here on a Sunday morning. It's singing together, worshiping together, just letting our hearts be free to serve the Lord. I I hope that as as you come into church, I, I have to do this sometimes, I come into church and my mind is thinking about a dozen other things that have nothing to do with God. And I, I come into church and I, I just need to like push those things aside and wrestle them down out of the way so, so my heart and my mind can just be free to, you know, go, ah, God in his glory. And it just kind of soak and savor in who God is. And, and that's, that's why we sing and that's why we want God-glorifying lyrics in our, our songs that just kind of help us all have that, ah, yes, I forgot about God. We need more of God. And that, that's why we read our Bibles during the week, not because we're supposed to read our Bibles, but because, because we, we're looking for God's glory in the Word. And we're like, God, I, I want to read your Word until I'm happy in you and, and I see your beauty. I want to know who you are and I want to know about your marvelous deeds. What are they? So that our hearts can be joyful in the Lord. That's why we go to growth groups and why we meet with other Christians, not, you know, why we have fellowship. Is so that we can kind of praise God in front of each other. And as we talk about what God's doing in our lives or talk about where our heart is at with the Lord, then as we hear each other praising the Lord, that just, again, it stokes the worship in our souls as we talk to each other in a growth group or with another Christian. That's why Christian fellowship outside of church is so important, so that we can keep stoking our worship together. And as that, as that worship rises and as we continue to cultivate a sense of awe at the glory of God and awe at our salvation, and that we don't let our zeal die out. That's the fuel for missions. And if you don't have that, well, you, you won't be able to go long term. And, and, you'll, and you'll be excited, you know? You'll be excited to, to engage. But look at this. Let me look at the, just show you the second connection between worship and missions. So the first is that worship fuels missions. That's verses 1 to 6. But, but here's the other thing. Look at verses 17, 7 to 13. Worship is not only the fuel of missions. Worship is also the goal of missions. Worship is, is what we want to see the outcome be if missions is successful. So, so it's not just that worship is sending us out to proclaim, but as we're proclaiming, the thing that we hope happens as a result is more worship. That the problem is there's not enough worship going on for this great God. And so we're going out because we want to see as the outcome more worshipers, more people delighting in the Lord. Look at verses 7 to 9. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. And so just as in the first three verses you have sing, 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 now in the next, these verses you have ascribe, ascribe, ascribe. And whereas the first three verses were in a sense a call to God's people, in this case Israel, to proclaim to the nations, now the call in verses 7 to 9 is upon the nations to join Israel in worshiping Israel's God. Do you see that? Verse 7, ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. So, so this is the call, this is the result. We hope that what happens as a result of people worshiping the, 
of, of proclaiming the gospel is that other nations will join in the concert of praise to God. So he says, ascribe to the Lord, O family nations, verse 7, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. So the glory and the awe that the Israelites have, now the nations are supposed to have as well. Or verse 8, bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. That's an amazing verse for the Old Testament. It's a a command for the, the pagan unclean Gentiles to come into the temple of God and worship the God of Israel, and behold His splendor and glory in the temple the way the Israelites behold His splendor and glory in the temple. That's remarkable. So these these nations that are worshiping idols, nothings, are summoned to leave their idols and come in to the temple of Yahweh, the God of Israel, and worship Him, and even bring an offering before Him. What a remarkable passage in the Old Testament. And we say, how could that be? <laughs> well, we turn to the pages of the New Testament and we see that's exactly what's happening. The nations are coming to the temple, but it's not the Old Testament temple. It's the new temple, the church, God's people, a global temple as people are coming to worship Jesus and the nations are coming in to worship Him. Verse 9, tremble before Him all the earth. Worship Him, tremble Him. That word worship in verse 9, uh, we, we've talked about this, I think, a couple months ago, but, but we hear the word worship and we usually think of what? Singing, right? But the, there's a different Hebrew word for singing and it means sing, but, but the Hebrew word for worship really means to prostrate yourself. So when it says worship him, the picture isn't necessarily of people like, yay, singing. It's people on their faces trembling before the Lord. And so... The nations and all the earth are called to join Israel in being undone in worship before the great God of all the earth, not just the tribal God of Israel, but the God of the whole world who made everything. God is worthy of all the worship in the world. You know, if right now the whole world set their clocks and at you know, noon, whatever, every single person on the face of the earth stopped everything they were doing and spent 10 minutes shouting praise to Jesus at the top of their lungs. He would be worthy of that and more. He's worthy of all the worship in the world because he's the Lord. And so there's this call to all the nations to come so so that they become worshipers as well. And, And that's what happens. You know, this worship is contagious. That's how the gospel spreads. You tell somebody, and then you taste and see that it's good, and then you tell others so that the nations are joining into it. Now, notice this. I want to point this out, too. Notice the emphasis on nations, plural. Do you see that? Ascribed to the Lord, O families of nations. So, in other words, and this is super important that, that we get this concept, missions is not just about having more people worshiping Jesus than worship Him now. It's also about having more kinds of people worshiping Jesus than worship him now. See the difference? So it's, it's not just that we, we want the whole world and all people, the different people, but we want all the different types of people groups 
that are out there, all the different nations. Again, look at this whole psalm. There's this idea of plural nations. Verse, look back at verse 3. Declare his glory among the nations. Not just the whole globe as one kind of undifferentiated mass, but all the different cultures and peoples and nations. Or verse 7, ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. And then again in verse 10, say among the nations. So that there's a concern in the Bible, not just to have a number, a, a greater quantity of people worshiping God, but lots of different qualities and different types of people. You know, in the book of Revelation, we saw that in chapter 5 that we just read, that Jesus is ransoming and purchasing a people from what? Every tribe and tongue and language and nation. So missions is not just concerned about getting the word out more, but it's concerned about reaching people who've never heard so that there's lots of people from lots of different types. Now, why is that important? Because God is more glorified when more types of people worship him. You know, you know something is great when lots of different types of people from lots of different types of backgrounds all agree that something is great. You know, I mean, think of something that, that generally the, the world does not agree is great. I was trying to think of something. I came up with, since I'm on a food theme, theme, I came up with haggis. Do you guys know what haggis is? It's a Scottish dish. It, it's a savory pudding that's made up of all the, the sheep's entrails. You know, it's kind of like Scottish people are so cheap, they couldn't throw it away. They're like, ah, it's got to be able to do something with the, the sheep's lungs. How about if we chopped the lungs and kidneys up and then we stuffed it inside the stomach? Haggis, you know, and it's like, so okay, so, you know, but like, there's a reason there's not a haggis place right next to Chipotle. Okay. <laughs> you know, if, and it's like, it's not really that good. And, and because, you know, we're like, well, that's just kind of a, you know, a Scottish food or whatever. And, uh, you know, my, my offense to every Scottish person I've just offended here today. But, but now, contrast that with something like, I don't know, I was trying to think of something else. Like, what about like the iPhone or smartphones? You go to every country in the world and you see people on smartphones. It, it's universal. Everybody's like, Wow. This is amazing. You know, I can't believe that I use it for everything. And so it speaks to the genius and the beauty and the, the, um, the, the marvel and the wonder of the technology that lots of different people from lots of different cultures use it and find it useful and amazing. So God is glorified not just by having more voices, but when Indians and Ukrainians and Koreans, and, um, you know, South Africans, and Scottish people, and Hondurans all agree that Jesus is the greatest ever. His glory is magnified by the diversity, the unity in diversity that's there. And so that's why, you know, it's so important that the gospel goes to all peoples and why it's so important that we understand the church to be a global phenomenon. We say, wow, God is worthy, and everyone agrees. Not that God needs everyone to agree to make him worthy, but it just shows how worthy he is because Persians and, you know, Polish and Italian and Native Americans are worshiping Jesus as the great one and the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
And when you get this vision, when you start to see worship, not only as the fuel of missions, but you also get excited about people from all the different nations joining and praising and adoring Jesus, what starts to happen is you start to get a heart for missions. It, it just starts inside of you. It's like, bing, there it is. It's suddenly you're excited about all the different people and coming to know Christ and, and, and the chorus growing with all the different parts, not an orchestra made up of just one instrument, but an orchestra made up of all the different instruments playing in a global harmony of praise to the Lord. That gets you excited. And, and when you get a heart for missions, it starts in the smallest ways. You know, you know here's how it starts. It starts when, you, when you're going about your business in your normal day-to-day life and you meet someone from another culture. You meet someone from another country. Maybe it's the person who works at Dunkin' Donuts and they serve you every morning and you say hi and it's always the same guy and suddenly after like three weeks you realize it's always the same person. And, and suddenly, you, instead of just being like, yeah, give me my coffee, I gotta go, you think, I wonder where they're from. Maybe you ask them, where are you from? What's your accent? Oh, I'm from here. Oh, really? And it just, you start being interested in other cultures because you have a heart for the nations to know Jesus. Um, and, and people are all over the place. You know, it might be in your workplace. It might be in a school. It might be at col- if you're in college today, international students all over. It could be a neighbor next door. I was at a swim meet um, with, for my son. I was doing the timing, and, and there's another dad there who was timing, and, and he looked... Uh, kind of Middle Eastern, and he had an accent, so I just said, hey, where are you from? He said, I'm from Iraq. And I was like, ah. Oh. I said, I was just in Abu Dhabi. And he was like, ah, oh, what were you doing in Abu Dhabi? And I was like, why? Oh. And I was like, right? And, and I got his number, and he got my number, and hopefully we're going to have coffee, uh, just hang out. So, like, that's, that's the modern world today. You, can, you don't have to go to Iraq to hang out with Iraqis. That's our world. And so it's great. Missions is can happen all over. But you just have a different mindset. Your mind opens up in a different way. You look at people differently, and, and you're excited about people because, because of the differences, because of the nations. That's the change that happens. Um, or maybe it's, um, you know, when you get a heart for missions, uh, it, it, is, it is things like the missions conference. You do get excited about the missions conference because you think, oh, wow, this is the one week of the year where I can get some intel on this great thing God is doing among the nations. You're never going to hear about God's global purposes on Fox News. You're never going to hear about it on CNN. They don't talk about this. The most important thing going on in the world, no one's talking about it. You come here, you got, I'm going to a missions conference, I want to hear what is going on in that part of the world. How is God moving in that nation? I know God is at work. And so we come because we're excited, because we're fired up to hear about the nations joining the global chorus of praise. And, and our hearts are opened. And, and we're excited to give money to a, a, a missions fund. I mean, I, I consider it a privilege to give money every year to the missions budget because I'm like, yay, I could do a little bit to help in, in the spread of the gospel to the nations. It's an act of worship, not a, a dead obligation. Or maybe you start getting a little crazy. Maybe you think like, you know, I've always thought about adopting. What if I adopted a kid from another country? You know? Or, or maybe you think, like, I'm going to go on a short-term mission trip. Or, or maybe you get, like, totally crazy. And you think, I wonder if what I do for work, I could do in another country 
for the sake of the gospel and be a part of the people of another country where the gospel isn't well established yet. And you're like, oh, that's just too crazy. Like, why? <laughs> that's, again, that's the great thing. When you get a heart for missions, you just start thinking differently. It, it frees your mind to, to be open to other possibilities. And you think, oh, I can never do that. Well, why? I'm a New Englander. You know, we don't, we don't leave. We don't do things like that. Like, why? Why not? <laughs> you know? Who says? We have so many limitations and boxes we put on ourselves that aren't biblical, that are just kind of cultural or habitual, but, but it's, it's not shaped by our, a biblical understanding of things. But when you get a heart for missions, you're open to that possibility. You're like, yeah, I love it here, but, but God could move me. Who knows? I'm open to what the Lord may have for me. And it changes your mindset. Or, or you know, you meet someone from a different country, and, and, and you're not bound by cultural mindset. You're, you know, you meet someone from a different country with a different accent, and the first thought in your mind isn't, I wonder if they're here legally or illegally. <laughs> right? I mean, the issue of immigration is huge. Don't get me wrong. It's a big issue that our, our, our politicians and our government has handled extremely poorly, and it needs to be sorted out as a country. But as Christians, we've got a much bigger concern than immigration. It's the gospel. <laughs> and when I meet someone from another country, my first thought shouldn't be, I wonder if they're here illegally. It should be like, I wonder if they know Jesus. You know, our, our immigration concern as Christians is we want people to immigrate into the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God's got a big old open border. And there's only one thing you have to do to come in. Repent and believe in Christ. And that should be our overarching concern about people. I mean, and again, yeah, immigration important. Hopefully our country will solve it. I don't know, whatever. It's a challenge in all kinds of countries all over the world. Different countries handle it differently. But as Christians, we're operating at this other level of the kingdom of God. And so it frees your mind not to be constrained by cultural forms and messages because you have a heart for missions. That's how it changes you. And suddenly you find yourself looking at the world differently for the sake of the gospel. Do you have a heart for missions? Would you like a heart for missions? Do you, you're kind of like, yeah, that sounds appealing. How do I get there? Worship. <laughs> let, your, let your zeal for the Lord be stoked up and fired up, you know? And, and then get a vision for more people and all the nations worshiping God so that His glory and majesty might have a global presence and a choir celebrating Him. Because God is worthy of all that worship. He's worthy. But He's not just worthy. And here's the last little bit, and I'll just close with this. It's not just that the Lord is worthy of the world's worship. The Lord is owed the world's worship. The world owes Him worship. It's not just optional, like, hey, if you want something really good, try worshiping Jesus. The world owes Jesus all worship and glory. And the problem with the world today, the ultimate root problem is a lack of worship. There's a great worship deficiency in the world. Jesus is not exalted and glorified. But someday the Lord's coming back 
Someday that deficiency will be resolved. There's coming a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Willingly or unwillingly, He will be worshipped by all peoples on the great day of resurrection and judgment. Look at verses 10 to 13. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They will sing before the Lord for He comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His truth. God's people have worshipped Him. The nations are called to worship Him. And someday, the very creation itself is going to worship Him when finally, the ones ruling the earth will no longer be sinful human beings, but God Himself. And the creation will be liberated from its bondage to decay as God will come to judge the earth. There's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord All of us will worship Jesus someday. The only question is, will it be joyfully, willingly, with a at long last kind of response? Or will it be in terror and in dread? Oh Lord, would you give us a heart for missions? I pray, Lord, for those of us here, maybe you've been Christians for some time, but have have never really got the missions piece. God, I pray that you would connect the dots in our soul between your glory and your gospel and that we would start to have a heart for the nations. God, I pray that if there's anyone here who's who's operating out of guilt, that they would find their forgiveness in Christ and, and operate out of joy and passion instead. God, I pray if there's anyone here who who doesn't know you or who doesn't believe these things or maybe they wonder if it's true but they're not sure. Jesus, I pray that you would show them yourself, that they would meet you, Jesus, in their hearts through your word, not because of a preacher but because of your Holy Spirit touching their hearts. Oh Lord, give our church a heart for missions. I pray that, that missions would continue to be the passion of our church, because missions is not just a program, it is, it is the program that the whole church is about, because it's about your glory to all nations. And we thank you, Jesus, that we will continue to proclaim your kingdom to all nations as a testimony to all people, and then the end will come. Oh, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly, we pray. Amen.